Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. everyone, and welcome to episode 422 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowling, coming to you deep in the night on a Monday in October, and I'm joined by my friend, Scott Coleman. Scott, the Braves were, I don't want to say dead, but they were certainly headed that direction. And then, in the blink of an eye, they were not. Very appropriate for this team to find a way to come back from the dead, right? I mean, not just in the game, but for the entire series, for the whole season, I mean, they were getting no hit about as badly as you can get no hit. And then in the blink of an eye, the Braves did their thing. And, hey, it's a best of three now. Really just a remarkable game. One of the best baseball games in in recent playoff history, whether it's the Braves or not. I mean, just a, a phenomenal baseball game. And, man, thank goodness the Braves found a way to come back and win because it was going to be a dark place if not. They found a way. And, you know, we talked a couple of days ago. It was pretty bleak. Uh, It was perhaps bleaker in the middle of the game, as you kind of referenced there. They just could not score. As we'll come back to later on in the episode, the Braves had their longest scoreless streak in terms of innings all season long to open the playoffs. Uh, Unlikely, hideous, difficult to watch. In fact, our friends at StatCast got as low as a 5.9% win probability for, for Atlanta tonight in the sixth inning. And from there, they just kind of chipped away. Uh, the four-run comeback, they trailed 4 nothing. of course. They won this game 5-4. to four. The four-run margin tied the largest comeback win in Braves postseason history 
matching the Rick and Kill game, which I remember very vividly in 2010, oh, yeah. the Splash yeah. game. <laughs> uh, that was a wild one, kind of like this in a lot of ways. It was also an LDS game too, ironically. Same exact situation in a lot of ways. But man, uh, also it was not lost to people. I'm sure you noticed this as well, Scott. Today is four years to the day after the Braves uh, had the 10-run blow-up against the Cardinals in Game 5, literally four years ago today. And there were some vibes of that early on in this one. And they overcame all of that. They overcame Zach Wheeler. Obviously, we know this team has the bats to wake up at any moment. But, man, uh, it's it's hard to describe the swing. And, of course, we'll talk about it more often. But uh, the end of the game is just an all-timer in a lot of ways. So just just madness. Yeah, madness indeed. And you mentioned the 5.9% win probability in the sixth inning. Now, that was for the game tonight, but it felt like about a 5.9% chance of the Braves' season continuing at that point. I mean, they didn't get a ball to the outfield until the fifth inning tonight. It wasn't even like game one where they had a couple of opportunities, bases loaded, two on, one out, and just couldn't get a hit or there was some, some unfortunate timing or luck or whatever you want to call it. I mean, they, they literally couldn't do anything against Wheeler for the first five or six innings tonight. And man, I mean, what a moment. So many things to break down, but good for Austin Riley, a guy who has been so good for, for a handful of years now, but hasn't had like a signature playoff moment. You know, we had a home run in, in the bubble 2020 NLCS that I think gave the Braves a lead. Now that was a, a great moment for Austin, but man, for him to have not only the go-ahead home run tonight, and then the, uh, we're going to call it the Derek Jeter 2.0 flip <laughs> out of nowhere. An incredible heads-up play from Austin to back up that throw from center field, and then to throw a laser beam to first base to double off Bryce Harper. I mean, just in a lot of ways, it was the Austin-Riley game. And uh, yeah, man, just a, a phenomenal baseball game. What a night for Riley. And, you know, we, we did talk about it. He was the one guy in this lineup, actually, by the numbers that had been underperforming in the playoffs compared to his normal baseline. And we talked about it and we kind of circled him as a potential X factor in the series and in the playoffs. And uh, yeah, have a night, Austin Riley, in a lot of ways. And of course, shout out to Michael Harris for the first part of the game ending play. That was a phenomenal catch. And a reminder that Michael Harris is arguably, if not the best center fielder in baseball defensively, he's on the very short list. Um, yeah, a lot of things happen there. We'll come back to it at the end, but, uh, let's just say this, Scott, before we start diving into the specifics, the vibe on this podcast changed quite a bit in the last hour. I'll tell you that <laughs> it would have been a fun, a not so fun thought. We, we would have done it. We're, we're pros on this podcast. We would have come yeah. on the podcast and done it, but, uh, it would not have been so exciting as it was right now. We would have sucked it up and done this podcast. If they lost tonight, the, uh, the Vegas over under was about 11 minutes, including an ad. <laughs> And uh, the intro and outro music. So thank goodness we are not doing that podcast. And it is it is very much a series now. Of course, shifts to Philadelphia. We'll, we'll preview the game three a little bit later on. But just a, a, a memorable in every way, shape, and form baseball game tonight. And just, man, thank goodness they found a way to win. That is all true. Okay, with all of the top line stuff out of the way, let us dig in a little bit to the specifics uh, in a way that only this podcast can. Um, First things first, we talked about how they struggled for half or more of this game at the plate. Um, The variance there, the randomness there, Um, the lineup did change back. We speculated that was probably going to be the case on the last podcast, but they went back to um, the traditional group, Harris hitting ninth, uh, Ozzy back in the two hole, all that stuff. And also they played Darno in place of Murphy, which I think a lot of people thought what might happen with Max on the mound. Um, And for part of the game, 
that seemed like it might be a mistake because Darno had some rough moments. And then, of course, even he breaks out. And he's the one thing we haven't talked about yet is that he had a, a two-run home run that was a massive, massive play in this game. So that part worked. Um, you can certainly argue whether the lineup change back worked because it took a long time for them to wake up. But, uh, I mean, we talked about it a little bit, so I kind of know what you thought a little bit about this. But uh, no, any surprise, anything you want to add about the lineup kind of going back to where it was? No, I, I think based on the comments that Brian Snicker made, it became clear that the different lineup in game one really was just a product of Ranger Suarez pitching and a bullpen game and all of that. And obviously it didn't work out in game one. I'm glad they went back to the traditional lineup in game two. I'm also glad they won tonight. So we can probably stop having this conversation because <laughs> it, it, it was all people were talking about for 48 hours. That's true. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, like good for Travis Darno guy who, uh, has not played a ton, right? Taking a backseat to Murphy for a decent amount of the season. Of course, they were trading starts for a while there too. So for him to be in there and have that moment, it, it's going to be overlooked, of course. But without Travis's two-run homer to get it really into being a ball game, uh, that that really did. I mean, the difference between a one-run deficit and a three-run deficit late feels bigger than it is, if that makes sense, right? One run, you're truly a swing away, whereas three runs, it just mentally, I think that's a, a little bit of a different feeling. So a nice night for Travis. Um, and, uh, you know, for Max Freed, he clearly was not sharp, but yeah. he, you know, he he battled through for the four innings. I mean, he had no command, really. First inning, he was a little bit sharper, but after that, he just, he looked like a guy who really had not pitched in about three weeks. Yeah, so let's talk about this now. You know, it was interesting balance in the middle. I mean, this is again, this is Twitter. It's not real life, but I'm sure other social platforms and discussions were happening of the same tenor. Clearly, the the bigger problem for half this game was the offense. Um, but when you have an ace on the mound, that's what Max Fried is an ace. Um, you're expecting him to be a little bit better than he was in this game. You know, he hadn't pitched in a competitive game in all the three weeks. Um, the blister issue, uh, which he has said after the game, I'm looking at this now from our fearless leader, Chris Willis, who's actually at the game covering the press conference. He said, Max has no issue, no issue at all with the blister. And that's a positive thing, obviously. But to your point, and you said it perfectly, his command was just non-existent. There was one uh, pretty glaring missed strike call that cost him in the first inning that I wrote down and focused on. It, it should have been a strikeout of Trey Turner. It was a strike. It was not called a strike. And that led to some other things that happened. But that aside, and he was squeezed there. Free just wasn't good. I mean, I think he knows it. They all know it. The hope would be that he's ready to go again in game four, because sorry, game five, if you have to get there at this point. Because look, Max Free's not a guy, like I think within a game tonight, it was correct to be aggressive. And they got somebody up in the third inning and they took him out after four and there was no reason to keep pressing him. But you're hoping that he's back to being Max Freed in a few days. But he was he was not good. And that's certainly worth noting the Real Muto home run was the big swing against him, but he just wasn't hitting the spots on that. I mean, I, I was trying to track it and make a bunch of notes about like every batter and all that stuff. And it's like basically just a, me repeating Max is missing his spot by a foot all the time. Like he just had no idea where the ball was going and that you obviously can't do that for a long, for a long stretch of time. No, he, he can't. And I think the first inning just kind of snowballed. It's you a- mentioned, yeah, you mentioned the missed strikeout call on Trey Turner you know, he's, he gets the call there. There's two outs, nobody on after about nine pitches. Instead, Turner doubles. He ends up throwing 31 pitches in the first inning, which is kind of a nightmare scenario for a guy coming off the blister. You yeah. don't want him to hurt himself. 
at that point, I mean, I, I know that a couple of people pointed this out real time. I mean, it felt like a miracle that it was only three nothing or four nothing in the early going. I mean, Philly missed some opportunities early on. I mean, th- this could have been a nine nothing see yeah. you next season pretty oh, quickly. You're right, 100. I mean, we were all. I joked about divisions earlier about about the ten run game uh, four years ago, and it wasn't that bad, obviously. But I totally agree. It, it did feel fortunate that it was three nothing at the end of the third inning. It felt like it should have been worse than that. Um, also, just while we're here, we've talked about Trey Turner being a Braves killer before. Um, Trey Turner is a guy I just I can't I, I cannot handle Trey Turner. The combination of Trey Turner and Bryce Harper. Just makes my uh, skin curl as a Braves observer. I mean, Turner, just as a note, like the the play that he turns into a double in the first inning that he ends up scoring on. I, I mean, how many guys in baseball get to second on that play? Like yeah. Harris cuts off the ball in the right center field and Turner just cruises into second. And it's like, how is he How is he already there? Like, what is what is going on? That's a single for like everyone. Um, and, you know, I guess ironically, Harper gets doubled off at the end of the game. Those two guys, though, were uh, just as a sidebar, pretty pretty terrifying. But no, I totally agree with you. Uh, it felt fortunate. And maybe uh, that's you and me being a little bit more uh, cold and calculating than most. But uh, I was thinking that in the moment, like everyone was kind of, including us, I, was, I would probably imagine, was being a little bit nihilistic then. But I also, somewhere deep in my mind was like, it could it, this could be worse. Like, it's actually kind of fortunate that they're not out of this game. Yes, totally. I mean, it's... It's like a football team who goes up two touchdowns early and instead of just blowing the game open and ending it and getting a couple more touchdowns, you know, they, they turn it over in the red zone. They settle for a field goal, right? Like you, you have those opportunities to put a team away, especially in the playoffs where things are so magnified and they didn't do it. So the Braves, I mean, again, they, they didn't get a ball to the outfield tonight <laughs> until the sixth inning. It's so so it, it wasn't like, we were just waiting for the offense to come alive. I mean, it, it looked pretty bad, Brad. I mean, I, I was, I, I told you I was, I was doing laundry and like kind of paying attention. Cause I was in a pretty depressed state thinking about an 11 minute podcast. I was going to have to do with you tonight. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So it, it's worth noting that despite freed, not really having any command and despite Philadelphia really just dominating the first 60% of this game, they they did not put it out of reach, which is something you have to do in the playoffs, and and the Braves made them pay for it. That's right, and this is now much more of a factor moving forward, but with the day off tomorrow and with Freed able to get through four innings, they didn't have to tax the bullpen in this game. Uh, no one threw more than an inning, and even then, other than, I guess, AJ, who threw one more batter in the ninth inning, but they didn't have to go to Tonkin for a long time. Like He was warming early, and he might have had to go three innings. They didn't do that. It was just one, 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 one the rest of the game. And again, with a day off tomorrow, like everyone should be fresh again for game three. There was no blow up of your of your pitching plan because Max was able to at least not get, you know, blown off the face of the earth and uh, navigated all of that to keep them in, in the game. You know, they were down four, as we've talked about a couple of times. Then uh, the first run, finally the breakthrough happens in the sixth inning after a couple of nice performances. I wouldn't say dominant, but Kirby Yates and Jimenez get through two innings of scoreless baseball. To hold it at four nothing, um, after uh, the Darno, I guess it wasn't scoreless with, with Yates, but the uh, the the Darno throw in the center field that cost them a run was unfortunate. But he got it back, so there you go on Travis. That's right. Uh, yeah, he, he uh, got it back. He got it back. Uh, I was going to circle that if, if not, but he, he did. Um, bottom, the bottom of the six is when they finally score. Ronnie uh, as as a two out as a two out walk. Then Ozzy singles, and then uh, 
it helped to have Ronnie putting a little bit of pressure with his legs. Ronnie's very fast, as we all know, and then an error by the aforementioned Trey Turner. We should, he's, he's a human being. Uh, he made two in this game, actually. Um, but they, they score a run. And I don't know if that was the single biggest moment of the night or anything like that, but certainly it helped to not have a zero on the scoreboard just for morale. I'm sure there's a um, kind of unexplainable factor in these guys brains like let's just get one on the board for the love of god and again i mentioned they had shattered the longest scoreless stretch of the entire season at that point in time so just inching one across there by hooker by crook was uh, not a small thing yeah you just kind of have to start chipping away at some point and it felt like in a lot of ways it took the weight of the world off everyone's shoulders the offense was clearly pressing and when you have an offense that's pressing at the plate paired with one of the best pitchers on planet earth throwing a tremendous baseball game. I mean, it just, I mean, the vibes were horrible. So you mentioned, I mean, a harmless two out walk to Ronald harmless two out walk. And then a single from Ozzy. It wasn't even like he gapped the ball. It was just a routine line drive to break up the no hitter. And then you mentioned it was kind of a short hop that Turner misplayed. Ronald comes around to score a play that only he can really do with his speed You mentioned putting pressure on the defense. So just to get one run there felt like it was big in the moment. You're you're still down three runs, but God, they had to score a run at some point. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was in in the moment. It didn't necessarily feel like a big thing, but with hindsight, looking back on the game, just getting that one run in the sixth proved to be really important. They needed all of them. That's for sure. Um, In the seventh, your guy in mind, Pierce Johnson, holds him, holds him again in the seventh inning. And that leads to the Olsen single and the Darno two-run homer that really got them in it. Like for me, and I even tweeted this, that was the moment where I, I got my first like pit in my stomach nervousness because it had been fairly miserable to that point, which we've already discussed. But like even game one, there was no not a single, at least for me, where I had like the true. I can't only describe it. I think Braves, Braves fans or baseball fans know what this feels like, that that nervous playoff baseball energy that just kind of manifests in certain moments. That's when it got to me was in the bottom of the seventh. When it, when, they, when they got it to one and it was like, okay, I feel like they're they're really kind of alive here. Um, I felt things, Scott. I just want to show that with you on the podcast. I felt things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the old don't give me hope. Correct. <laughs> right. Like you, it, As if we were already – Very sad at how the first 15 or 16 innings had gone. And then Travis launches that ball to make it a one-run game. And part of your brain says, all right, they're in this. Let's do it. And then the other part of your brain says, oh, my God, they're going to rip my heart out and lose by one run now. Um, But, yeah, a really a great moment for Travis. Really, as you said, the first time all night that anybody squared up a ball. Wheeler just hung a curve or a slider or whatever he throws really one of the very, very few mistakes all night in the middle of the plate that he made. So good for Travis, a really nice moment for him. And of course, then you cut the deficit to one. We know this offense can score in a you know flash of an eye. So it's, uh, yeah, good for Travis. Big time. And then we get to the big guns. Uh, crucially, an underplayed thing, I think, in this game was Minter going one, two, three in the eighth. Kind of a shutdown inning, the traditional one of those. It was the first time in the entire game, and the entire, actually the only time in the whole game, that the Braves got a one, two, three inning. Uh, and that was just nice to kind of hold them there. There was no delay. It's like, get this bats back up there. And let's, go, let's go tie this thing or take the lead. Uh, running a tip by a pitch in the bottom half and then gets the second on the grounder by Ozzy with two outs. Then he steals third, which actually didn't matter in the end, but he did steal third. And then Austin Riley, who we talked about earlier. But um, let's just discuss the swing, Scott. How in the world did that ball get over the wall with the way he swung? It was basically a one-handed swing. The camera angle was weird. He had it super high in the air. 
it wasn't a cheap home run. Like I looked at Statcast, it was out of it was out of all thirty ballparks, so it wasn't like a fluke homer. But if you watch the swing on the replay and the the original, like I don't even know the camera work, all of it, it's like that's is this ball going to get over the fence? Like I couldn't believe that it got over the fence. It was just wild. Yeah, no, that that's a big strong. Oh yeah, country fed. Yeah, country thick, fed. Thick boy. with two C's, as, as they say. Um, that's right, as the kids say, thick with two C's. <laughs> Um, yeah, I thought, I mean, in real time, I thought that it was going to go to the warning track. Same. I thought it was, I thought it was off the end of the bat. I mean, it, it was, but Austin just somehow got enough of it. Kind of like shades of in the 2021 world series where Altuve hit that ball that looked like it was going to the upper deck and Eddie Rosario made the crazy running catch at the wall. I mean, that that's kind of what I was envisioning when it came off, but yeah, it wasn't even, you mentioned it was a home run in all 30 parks it wasn't like it just cleared the wall. I mean, it was, deep no, it was, it was out of there. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, what a moment for Austin Riley, huge home run truest was going nuts. I mean, you talk about a ballpark that was void of life for the, for the first two hours of the game, just there, there's some great crowd shots of, oh, yeah. of the reaction. Just, um, yeah. I mean, you talk about a big, strong man hitting a big home run. <laughs> that was, uh, that's as big as it gets from Austin. It is. I know some folks that were uh, in the crowd and uh, yeah, some of the reactions and I'm sure the same stuff that you saw. That was a big one. I mentioned the stat cast probability earlier about how the Braves got down to 5.9% in the game. When Riley stepped to the plate, the Braves, even only down by one, were at 15.1% because there were two outs in the eighth inning. You're down a run. And with one swing, they go from 15.1% to 84.9% win probability in one swing. <laughs> that yeah, is a there, wild swing. Um, yeah, there's obviously there's a ways to go in this series. It's a best of three now. We're going to talk about that. But man, oh, yeah. this game just feels like it. Not only did they win, but just the way they won feels like it really swung the pendulum back to give this team a real chance. Like it woke the Braves up. They, they were sleepwalking the first 15 innings of this series and a very, very loud alarm bell went off and it woke up the whole team. The energy was back. I mean, and and I don't blame the team for not having, well, that's not right. It was hard <laughs> to find energy the way yes. the Phillies had pitched the first game and a half. I, you know, of course, you want to have good energy, guys ready to go. But uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it felt like an awakening. If you like a spiritual awakening with the comeback tonight. Yeah, we are on the same page with that. Uh, really the only, I don't want to say the only, uh, the the well, the biggest one for me in terms of like managerial stuff in this game, because there wasn't a ton. I mean, it was, I guess you could kind of quibble with the order of the guys that came in the game or whatever, but Stick did a good job in general. Um, what did you think of the decision to go uh, to stay with Mentor versus going to Iglesias to start the ninth? And I'll, I'll say this. Um, I, I know, and we've joked about this before, that, that Snit really, really actually cares about like these head-to-head matchup things. And uh, I'll let you give the stat, Scott. But uh, Harper has, uh, let's just say, owned Rysel Iglesias in the past, which is probably part of the reason why they went with Minter. Yeah, um, you know, good job by the the TV broadcast to pick up that Minter was in the dugout looking like a guy who was going to go back out there. Yeah. And I, I think it's the right call, even though AJ walked Bryce on five pitches. Really, four of them weren't all that close to the plate. But Bryce Harper, all time, is 7 for 10 with four home runs in his career against Rysel Iglesias. So for whatever reason, Rysel just hasn't been able to do anything against Bryce. So I I thought in the moment, 
it was the right call to go to AJ. AJ has pitched well against Harper over his career. Of course, he walks him. And then you naturally go to, oh boy, Iglesias is not used to coming into an inning with a runner on first. You know, you you play out all of the doomsday scenarios in your head. But overall, I thought it was the right call to stay with the lefty, especially the way that Harper has hit uh, Raycel over his career. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it at all. Like you said, he, he walked him. It wasn't like it was be- AJ's best moment. But uh, And look, I, I don't particularly put the stock in head-to-head that I think Snit does and that some people do in general. But, I mean, to be fair, he is 7 for 10 with four home runs. It's a pretty pretty glaring um, set of numbers. And, of course, it's the it's the uh, platoon matchup. Um, and AJ is really good. I mean, the Glaces is, is their quote-unquote closer, but uh, AJ Minter is a... I almost use, I, I think the word elite is probably appropriate for AJ Minter. If not, he's he's very oh, yeah. very he's very good um, at at the very least. So uh, I think it was fine with me. It worked fine. Um, of course, he walks him, but they go to Iglesias. It was always going to be that. There was no notion that Mitchell was going to stay in, even if he had gotten Harper out. It was going to be Iglesias. I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah. Um, two righties, gets, yeah, yeah two righties up and, and Castellanos, and, he, and he's your guy. I mean, Snit for all of the Snitness, like you know. He's going to have his guy in the ninth inning. It's not like he's going to go rogue there, I don't think. Um, but that sets up the, the the play of the night and the play of the playoffs so far across Major League Baseball. In fact, I just saw this uh, this tweeted out from Optistats. Michael Harris is the first outfielder in the history of Major League Baseball to begin a game-ending double play in the in the playoffs. That's a wild one. Uh, that, just, that, that just came across. Um, what, a, uh, what a great, very on-brand for baseball stat. First yeah. time ever. It's just weird, obviously. Like everyone that's listening to this podcast has seen the play. If you haven't seen the play, somehow go watch the play. Um, also, go listen to the Braves radio broadcast. I'm not sure if you've seen this yet, Scott, because we're recording the podcast. They posted it. Ben Ingram is losing his mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Between, um, between Ben Ing- Ingram's call on the radio and then and Ingram is awesome, and then Brian Anderson on the TV broadcast. He was great. Great on that call. Yeah. I mean, for my money, there's not a. I, I think Brian Anderson's the best play-by-play guy in baseball right now. He does, of course, many national assignments. Does March Madness? Does NFL? Does baseball playoffs all the way up until the World Series? But a yes, if you if you did not listen on the radio, go listen to the the booths call on it. It is madness. It, it fits the chaos of the play perfectly. And I mean, I think Ben Ingram said, I've never seen a play like that before on a baseball field was was pretty close to his exact call in the in the heat of it all. And uh, yeah, I mean, just across the board, some great calls in the booth. So let's go step by step here. First, Harris, just a fantastic play. He's one of the best in the business. Just an awesome, awesome play. Uh, That's number one. And then he gets it back to the infield in a hurry. Uh, It wasn't the cleanest um, delivery of that. But Austin Riley, again, like we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast, is the is the guy of the night. He makes this super heads up play to not only go and grab the ball, but also everyone is pointing like Harper is not close to the bag yet. He makes the play kind of an all in one motion to scoop and fire a throw that he doesn't usually make. And that's something to keep in mind. This is a third baseman and he's like out past the second base bag, like making a throw he doesn't always make. I know I know he's a professional athlete, but. Um, guys kind of usually make the throws that, that they normally make. So to throw a strike there um, to Olsen, that was a heck of a play. And I'll, I'll, I'll give it back to you now, but I have to mention this. Have you ever seen Matt Olsen be that happy in his life? 
<laughs> no, I haven't. I love Matt Olson. That's my guy, Parkview High School Zone. But I mean, he, that, that's a a face that I've never seen Matt Olson make. I'll just say that. Yeah, I mean, naturally, the whole the whole stadium erupted. Matt Olson included, who, who's pretty mild mannered. He might not quite be Freddie Freeman with like just how dull. But they're, they're, but they're, but they're very they're very similar in that way. They don't they don't they show are. a lot. Yeah. No, they don't. Some there's some first basemen who are big fist pumpers. They clap their hand on their glove after big outs, all of those things. So yeah, Matt let loose. There, there's a great look that MLB put out. I forget which writer of like the stat cast 3D, where it's kind of like stick figures and you can follow along where they are on the field. It's actually kind of a cool way to watch a game. There was like an inning or two that I watched earlier in the year. And basically imagine a a, a Windows computer from like the early thousands trying to like real time a baseball game. But it really just showed not only Harper rounding second base, but the perfect timing of Austin Riley, who was standing at third base, which you would assume he would do in that situation, right? Ball gets hit to right center gap. He's he's his instinct is to cover third base because there's a world right. where if Harris doesn't catch that, there's going to be a play at third if Harper's tagging or halfway between first and second. So not only does Austin have the the instinct to sprint over and back up the throw, it was perfect timing to kind of catch the ball before it short hopped on him. If he's a half second later, that ball probably hits the grass and it doesn't allow him to make that one throwing motion that he did. And then you mentioned the throw man. I mean, he threw that ball a hundred thousand miles an hour. It, you needed a perfect throw in order to get Bryce going back, and he did it. So just a this was very much the Austin Riley game for all intents and purposes. I just found it. It was Mike Petriello of MLB.com has the stick figure uh, display that you're talking about, uh, and I, I hadn't seen. It. I actually just watched it while you were talking on mute. Very cool look. Uh, and certainly recommend people go check them out because it, it does show kind of the angle that you're looking for of what Riley would have seen, um, seeing where Harper was and making the move over there. Just a heads up play all the way around. Just perfect stuff. And yeah, that brings us to now. Um, look, we could talk about more stuff in the game. There's more details to be had. The Braves still didn't have this like wonderful offensive game, but the last four innings or so, they did enough. How about this? Uh, Scott, I didn't realize this until right now. The Braves had four hits in the game. Four hits. Uh, wow. Five yeah. runs, four hits. Hey, whatever you got to do, we'll we'll take it. Let's hope that this kind of wakes the lineup up a little bit. They're going to see Aaron Nola in game two or in game three, who is no slouch. Guy yeah. who's been as good as pretty much anyone over the last six, seven years in the majors. And then uh, probably Ranger Suarez in a bullpen game again. Uh, you know, it's worth noting the Braves got to the Phillies bullpen tonight. That is something that, there's really been a strength for Philadelphia this year. It was a strength last year too, during their deep run where they really rely on their bullpen. They have a lot of hard throwers out there and they got to him. They got to Hoffman in the eighth. He's been really good, uh, especially for Austin to hit. Was it a slider? I mean, I'm sorry. Was it a splitter that he hit out? I mean, it was, it was hardly a fastball right down the middle. I can tell you that much. Yeah. Uh, and we, look, Wheeler was ridiculous and for them to get, to steal this one was, uh, let's just say, a long shot in a lot of different ways. But they they, they managed to do it. Uh, we'll look ahead now briefly. Uh, I'll just give some numbers. This is not my opinion. This is the numbers that I can find. Uh, with this win, the folks at Fangraphs now project the Braves to win the series 58.7% of the time. So they are a small favorite there. Zips is about 61.7%. Small favorite there. Same thing in the betting market. 
So as we talked about after game one, the Braves were the underdog across the board. I did not find a single projection or betting market that had the Braves favored to win the series after losing game one, which makes sense. Now they won game two, um, which is in some ways what they're quote unquote supposed to do. You're playing at home uh, and all that stuff. They were favored in the game tonight, but now it's best of three, like you said, except for the, there are two games in Philadelphia and one in Atlanta, which you can debate on how significant that is, but Philly has a good home field advantage compared to some other teams and uh, all things equal, you love to play games at home versus on the road. So that's one demerit there. And then game three is looming. So I just saw this come across. I'm not surprised. In fact, I tweeted this out earlier that like there was no chance Snit was going to name a game three starter before the game. And he's still not doing it now. According to our friend Grant McCauley, who's covering the press conference, Snit said the following about the game three starter, quote, we're still talking about that this evening and probably into the morning as we process a lot of things, see how we want to go, honestly. So no surprise there. Uh, I will ask you two things before we get out of here, Scott. Number one, what would you do? And number two, what will the Braves do? Oh, good question. What would I do? You know, I think I would be inclined. Oh, man, Brad. <laughs> you know, the, the comeback tonight was so fast. I really hadn't had an opportunity. Yeah, me, me either, honestly. And that, like, I, I could filibuster a little bit just because I, yeah. we were uh, all kind of thinking about it a little bit. Like it was not like we hadn't talked about it at all. We we kind of even even did it yesterday. Like game three is looming, and it kind of depends on what happens tonight or what happens. You know, even pre on our preview podcast, we talked about hey, game three might depend on how game one and game two go, yeah. and they get a split, which is like kind of the halfway mark. If they were down 0-2, it's like okay, everybody's available, and you just throw the, the whole sink at it. Uh, if you're up 2-0, I think maybe it's more likely to be elder. One yeah. one is kind of the middle ground. I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to guess they go to Bryce Elder would be my guess for what the Braves are going to do. I think they will have Elder start and they will basically have Rick Kranitz with the bullpen phone in his hand, maybe subtly (laughs) ready to go at a moment's notice. Um, While Elder has not pitched well for the, for the most part in the second half, you know, he, he does have a chance, right? He he pitched decently against Philadelphia in two starts this year. We have seen Bryce be successful. If he can keep the ball down in the zone, have command of his slider. Like there, there's a world where Bryce can give them a handful of good innings. Uh, I think everybody is going to be holding their breath and probably rightfully so, just because it is a very, very big spot to put Bryce in. But I'm going to say that Elder is the game three starter. You know, what would I do? I mean, the... The crazy person in me would say to start like AJ Minter out there to face the lefties at the top of their lineup in the first inning. Of course, the trade-off is you don't have Minter available late in the game. Although who knows, there's a lot of baseball to be played between the first inning and the eighth inning. Who knows if you're going to have an opportunity in the eighth for Minter to pitch anyway. And you obviously want to get him into a game just whenever you can. But overall, I'm going to say Bryce Elder starts. They will have the bullpen ready to go. I could see A.J. Smith-Shawver getting in there. I could see Michael Tonkin getting in there. But uh, regardless, it's going to be all hands on deck, especially with the off day on Tuesday. Yeah, and look, we're recording this podcast Monday night. They they don't play until Wednesday afternoon slash evening. So a long way to go here. We'll probably hear some more stuff tomorrow. I would certainly explore an opener. Even if I even if I was going to use Elder, which I think is probably going to happen, like I'll be kind of surprised. I don't know about you, I'll be kind of surprised if Elder does not pitch in Game Three in some fashion, whether it's as the bulk guy following an opener or as the starter. I think we'll probably see Bryce, um, which is I I understand. Like I know we've been a little bit 
more critical of him than others. And he's not been very good the last second half of the season or so, but like he's done a decent job this year. He's done his job a lot. He's innings for them and all that stuff. And he's, you know, they don't have Morton. So he's, he's the guy in some respects. Now they have Smith Shaver. Um, that would be risky. I mean, Smith Shaver's upside is higher than elders. I'm pretty sure of that. I mean, maybe you disagree, but I, I, I will say that with some confidence. I think he has better, he just has better stuff. Yeah. Um, the, the power stuff can play up in a series like this for sure. Yeah. Uh, man. That would be an it'd be a lot though. Yeah, I mean he's young, man. It, just, uh, I'm just gonna double check this before I say. It. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but I'm looking it up now. Yeah, he's still 20 years old. AJ, go get him, kid. Uh, yeah, that's that'd be a lot for a guy who's still 20 years old. But you know, he's on the roster for this kind of thing, so we will see. Uh, we I will leave all the elder talk. Uh, I think we might get a podcast from Sean tomorrow. Maybe he'll talk about more, and if we get a, if we actually get a definitive answer about the matchup, but. Uh, I'll be uncomfortable with Elder against Philadelphia. I think a lot of people will be. I will also fully grant that there is not a great solution here without Morton. Yeah. Uh, if Morton was available, it'd be Morton. We kind of all know that, but he's not He's not there. I would look into an opener. That's kind of where I will leave it for now. Um, you mentioned Mentor. Mentor's done it before. We've seen him in this role. He excelled in this role before. And because of Philly's lineup with Harper at the top, uh, I would not mind not having Elder go out there in the first inning at the top of the order. Maybe you do one inning of someone else um, and then go from there. But we'll see uh, the plan behind him. And look, everybody is available short of Strider and Freed. Every single person is available tomorrow. I mean, sorry, on Wednesday. So, yeah, uh, just to get it yeah. on podcast record, I think it it would not be a complete shock, although it would probably break Twitter. But it would not be an absolute shock if they started Brad Hand, a lefty yeah. to face Schwarber and Harper in the first inning. That's that's really the thing. I mean, that's, that's basically the halfway point between because Minter, like you said, they might want to Minter might be quote unquote too good, and they might want to hold him back for later. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think you're not crazy if you're going to do a a more traditional you know raise style opener. It's like you know lefty lefty kind of thing with hand. Uh, I don't love that, but at least you know you're going to face two lefties with right hand. Like, yeah, it is what it is. There's um, also something terrifying about like the seventh guy in your bullpen being your first inning option. And also and also Brad Hand facing um what Nick Castellanos or JT Real Muto at some point. Yeah. <laughs> would Trey be a little Turner. bit terrifying. Uh yeah, yeah. although any of those guys would be a little bit scary. Um I don't have a great I mean look I, I listening to you, I don't think you have a, a firm answer either. I will be the first to say this is a pretty tough spot for Snit. I mean he's gonna have uh, some options that are not the best options. And that happens in a playoff series. Um, Philadelphia had their version of this, although Suarez, I think is better than elder candidly, but that was their version of it in game one. And they did a great job with it. Philadelphia did. If the Braves can do that and get, you know, get three innings out of Bryce elder or whoever it's going to be special at the top and then hand it over to everybody else and have him go. Hopefully just like Philly did in game one, mow them all down. And then you turn them all over the next day to Spencer Strider with a bullpen that won't be totally gassed and say, all right, Spencer, we need some bulk from you today. And that's kind of your yeah. your ultimate blueprint, I would imagine. Yeah, having the day off between game two and three really helps. It does. Right? Then you know you're going to have everybody available on Wednesday. And then you're also going to presumably have just about everyone else available on Thursday as well. I mean, there, there might be a world where someone has to cover like two or three innings out of the bullpen. Maybe they're not around. But at the same time, in a perfect world with Spencer Strider starting game four, you're hoping that 
you know, you're not going to the bullpen in the fourth inning. I mean, let's let's be clear. If they go to the bullpen in the fourth inning with Strider starting, That's things worse. have probably gone very badly. <laughs> yes. Um, so overall, the schedule really does lend itself to having a bullpen game in game three, just because you know you're not shooting yourself in the foot or robbing Peter to pay Paul, where then you're really going to be in a jam in game four. I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. That's probably enough on that for now. Obviously, this game is not going to happen until Wednesday afternoon slash evening. It's Aaron Nola for Philadelphia, who is a much more established option. That is certainly edge to Philadelphia in this particular game. Um, you know, Nola's not Wheeler. Let's be clear about that. He's not as good as Wheeler, but Nola has been an all-star level guy in the past. He wasn't quite that good this year, but still um, a guy who is much more established than Elder is, um, you know, solid playoff record. He's been, good, he's been good, good against the Braves. This is crazy. Aaron Ola has 33 career starts against the Braves. He's had he has a full season worth of starts against the Braves in his career. Yeah. Division they, rivals, everybody. Yeah. There will be no surprises when Aaron no. Ola takes them out. Like I know with Ranger Suarez in game one, like he was working in a curveball that he really hadn't thrown a ton in the season. I mean, I, I can't imagine Aaron Nola is going to be throwing anything. The Braves don't have a ton of history seeing. Yes. And as a reminder, it's actually 5.07 start time, Eastern time on Wednesday. I know Scott loves that on the West Coast. Um, that is the earliest start time in the series. Uh, Thursday, 6.07 again. But uh, yeah, I always have them now. This is crazy, Scott. There is a world where Thursday's game four is a little bit later if the Diamondbacks sweep the Dodgers, which could happen hey, as we're talking. Um, Go Diamondbacks. Yeah. I mean, that's the way that happens. So anyway, we'll get, touch on that later on. But yeah, we know that Wednesday's game uh it's 507 and that will be happening in philly and it'll be a madhouse and uh, we'll see how that all goes at this point in time last thing here before we get out of here scott uh would you uh care to adjust your prediction or are we sticking with braves and five from the pre-series braves and five it's easier to say braves and five now i think than it was uh it was even then braves and four i will say this though at the end of our post game one podcast we did note that our predictions were both still alive and they're still yep. alive now. Braves in four is still breathing. I'll say this now. I would pick Braves in five if I had to pick now. If I had to readjust, I would pick yeah. Braves in five. But hey, Braves in four would, would be more fun. So. Hey, if they can exercise some demons after last year and win two games in Philadelphia, you know that ballpark is going to be jacked up. We talked about it in the preview podcast. It feels really important, just as the Phillies did in these two games, to try to get out to an early lead. Right, like that would be people, nice. Not have a zero until the sixth inning again. Yeah, be good. Yeah. <laughs> right, and maybe that's Captain Obvious, but you know, get a lead. Like I don't think the Braves have the Braves had an early game lead in any of the what one, two, three, six games that they've played against Philly in the NLDS the I'm last two years. To remember, I, I don't recall if there is one, and I'm sure someone will, will yell this at us. I don't, I don't recall one. Yeah, game game two last year when they won, I believe they shut them out and won like two to nothing or three to nothing. But it, it, I don't think it was an early lead either. I think it was like middle innings. So it would be really nice to just kind of take some of the stress off and get out to a you know a two zero three zero lead early. Obviously, easier said than done, but it just feels like it would kind of take the, you know, loosen everyone up a little bit to go out there and have one of those patented first innings the Braves have had so many times. So we'll see. They have a fighting chance in Philadelphia. Hopefully, well, hopefully they win two. And at the very least, if you can split and send it back home to Atlanta for a game five, you see what happens. There you have it, folks. We will wrap it up there. 
on this particular Monday evening into Tuesday. We will have full coverage going forward in the series on this podcast as well as in written form at batterypower.com. I said it before, but Chris Willis has uh, been attending the home games. He has been in the press box the last two nights in the clubhouse at press conferences. He's got written content for you. And of course, we have the podcast network rolling right now. I think, again, we'll probably have something between games, but at the very least, a post-game three podcast will be coming as well as a post-game four podcast because now game four is assured to be happening. No longer can we say, if necessary, Game 4 will be happening in one direction or the other. And uh, please subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple and Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. Scott, anything to plug before we get out of here, or should we just sign off for the people? We are going to sign off. Have a, uh, I might have a beverage tonight, Brad, just wow. to relax and going wild on a Monday night. It is all of 7.30 where you are right now. Which that is, is right. 10.30 for me, so I understand. That is right. It's uh yeah you got the Diamondbacks and Dodgers on so you have good baseball happening, um yeah just a, a even if you weren't a Braves fan or a Phillies fan I mean just a tremendous baseball game tonight two very very good teams I know that I mean I'm just as guilty as anyone of being frustrated but the Braves are playing a really good Philadelphia team a veteran team they put together good at bats they've been timely with their hitting the pitching has been good other than maybe two innings tonight. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. We're about 48 hours from recording for game three. It's, it's probably the biggest obstacle and hurdle the Braves are going to face. But as you said, we'll be here, win or lose or draw. And uh, we'll see everybody on Wednesday night. Yes. Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast, everybody. We really do appreciate it. Sincerely, please tell a friend or two or three or family member or whoever about the podcast. Have them subscribe to the show as well. Ratings and reviews appreciated. We'll be back again at the very latest after Game 3. We'll see you all next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.